The text for our sermon this evening comes from the gospel reading, and also keeping in mind the reading from Isaiah 9, and speaking of the government and the rule of this promised Messiah. But in particular, we remember that night, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. From our text this evening, we learn that God himself was born to account for our sins. That God became flesh so that he could die. So that we could be counted as dead to sin, but alive in Christ. The census called for by Caesar required everyone to go to his hometown, to go and be counted. Now, why was this so important? Why was uh, Caesar so interested in doing this? Well, it's the same reason we have censuses today. You want to know how much money you're going to get in taxes. You want to know how many people live in your land. So you know how many roads, how many Costco's and Walgreens to build. Caesar needed to make sure everyone was taken care of. He also needed to make sure he could draft enough soldiers that his military would be of ample size to defend the number of people. How many roads and amphitheaters he would need to build. Caesar wanted to take count so his kingdom would be great. You need CPAs, bookkeepers, financial advisors, all sorts of folks adding this, adding that. So everyone had to be counted. It's curious that way back in the book of 1 Samuel, God's people who'd been ruled by priests and prophets, they asked God to give them a king. Why did they want this? They said, well, we want to we be like all the other kingdoms of the world. We want a king. God warned them and said, an earthly king is going to take taxes from you. He's going to take your children from you and draft them in military service. He's going to take your land, and then he's going to tax you on your land and you will say, thank you, sir. God said, I'm warning you, if you ask for a king, this is what will happen. And the people said, no problem. That all sounds wonderful. Give us a king. And God says, okay. How interesting now that a thousand years later, God uses this very office of a king to bring about the fulfillment of the prophecy that a Messiah would be born. That God would use something that the Israelites did in their stubbornness. And even that, God would use for their good. For the good of the whole world to bring about the fulfillment of the prophecy. So we can learn from this that no matter who's in power, no matter if we live in a free society or even if we are slaves... God will always use the workings and political maneuvering of the powers that be for the good of his people, for his good will. And you can imagine, even as Mary and Joseph were probably a little unsure as they're going on this journey, maybe even a little frustrated under their breath, not being too happy with Caesar, maybe in their minds, trying to make it all make sense. 
this, this pregnancy even from the beginning and now coming to full term and they are traveling. And that's another important part of this, this lesson too, that Mary and Joseph, no matter how hard they tried, would never be able to reconcile this whole scenario in their minds. It would never fully make sense, but Mary and Joseph believed. They had faith that God was working things, and even as they may have been frustrated, none of this is going according to how life should go, they knew God was good, and they could count on that. Because Caesar, he doesn't care how pregnant you are. He doesn't care if you're sick. Show up and be counted. So it was that Mary and Joseph knew they were going to have to be in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph and this child that she's carrying in her womb that is going to be born, but in the end, to Caesar, they're just a number. They're a nobody. And isn't that comforting to know that the powers that be, the authorities throughout the world, whoever's charged with running your country, your land, wherever you are, to them, you're just a number. Well, you can't be too personal. How can you expect Caesar to know everyone? How could you expect Caesar to know what it's like to be pregnant and have to travel? He's got a lot of business to count on. Or as the astute and heartfelt politicians are wont to say, I feel your pain, but no. You, in the end, are just a number. But the numbers game is kind of mean in a sort of way. Not just in the outside world with government or sports. There's also an internalizing of numbers. There's also an internal counting that that we have to figure out. And if you're anything like me, you're, you're kind of like Caesar. You do like to count. Whether you like to or not, there are certain sins that maybe just stick in your conscience. Or you can count on your hands. You remember, you keep tally how many people have hurt you. Come to think of it, we're all little Caesars. Or maybe you you struggle because you know your sins are so many. Even the Bible says the heart of man is deceitful above all things. No one can know the depth of it. But you know that there is somebody who does want you to count. The devil loves it when you count. When you count all the wrongs against you, the politicians, enemies, the devil wants you to count. Take a census, if you will. All the offenses against you. Count them. Keep them close to you. Because then, by your pride, you can build a kingdom where you're always right. The Bible calls it looking for the speck in your neighbor's eye. And come to think of it, you know, you don't deserve any of that mistreatment, do you? Caesar loves to count. The devil wants you to count. Maybe even your own sins, maybe your sins are too heavy to even count. 
But tonight we gather and we give thanks to God that all your sins, all your offenses against God, all your sin and death-deserving counting, God doesn't keep count. I mean, God knows. He knows every sin. God knew the sins of the Israelites, even when they wanted a king, even because of their sinful pride, God counted. Just as God knew that Caesar, who cares nothing for a poor Jewish couple from Nazareth, just as God could count every thought, word, and deed that you have done against him and have done against others, well, God could keep count. He knows all. And that would be bad news if God was like Caesar, if God was like us. If he were counting all our sins and he was just doing this so that he could make his kingdom great by by distancing himself from sinners, how many prisons and jails would God have to build for those who've broken his laws? But he doesn't. Just as he counted all the years from that, that promise in 1 Samuel, All the kings, all the censuses, all the rulers who were here today and gone tomorrow, God counts it all so that he would know the price to make all things good again. To take away all the sin and evil and to forgive all offenses against him. What is the cost? Even when we can't keep track, he does. He knows what it takes to make things right. And not just to make things right in a balanced sort of way. He knows what he has to do to take away everything. Because in his son, Jesus Christ, the word become flesh. He knows that that's what it's going to take. That he would die on the cross. That he would be counted as one of us. That he would, if you will, travel to his world that he created to be counted as one of us. That he would stand with us. That he would be counted and say, I pay for it all. When he gives himself to be crucified, the very body that Mary carried in her womb and gave birth to, the very child that traveled with this mother for nine months, count them, For three days, he was counted dead. But in that death, he was born again from the grave. The firstborn of the dead. Death could not count him as another victim because he's God. And in that resurrection, he shows a kingdom which will never be challenged. A kingdom that can never be defeated because his kingdom is not about counting but his kingdom is built on forgiveness because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we are counted as righteous. So what is the cost for our sins if we were to try to count it, calculate it, to tally, to take a census, maybe even ask people, have I sinned against you? What's the budget a government would need 
to handle the sins of the world. Not just outward sins, but the sins of our mind, our pride, our anger and jealousy, those very things you wrestle with that cost you minutes, hours. Should have said this, shouldn't have said that. Tonight, we hear of a child promised from days of old. From the Garden of Eden, this child is born. He is counted as one of us in flesh and blood so that we could be counted as he was, children of God. So then there were angels, an uncountable number, praising God and showing those shepherds who, well, they were just a number. Just another group of shepherds doing their jobs. And you... You're not just a number to God. He sent Jesus for you. And he baptizes us each personally, giving us this personal promise, each one of us, telling us you are not a number, but you are forgiven, washed, and you have a new birth that you will never die. If you think about it, the baptismal font is it's a little Bethlehem of sorts. It's a place to where we all must travel to, as difficult and as hard as our backstory and history is. At the font, we're born anew. And the scriptures tell us that the angels rejoice because a new child of God is born. Because Jesus, God himself, he became a number. Not just in Caesar's census, but before his father. Christ Jesus, the word made flesh so he could be guilty for your sins, for them not to be counted against you. So tonight, if you have to count something, if you're laying in bed at night, and you begin to count those sins. Remember it is that Jesus Christ was counted guilty for your sake. And if you have to count, count your blessings, but also know that God counts your crosses, God counts your sufferings, and he knows exactly how much you need. Just as Mary and Joseph had to suffer to go to Bethlehem, and they were just part of the crowd, perhaps wondering and doubting if God would see them through, God did. And he's going to do the same for you. You can count on it. Only stay faithful. Count that gift of faithfulness given by the Holy Spirit as the most important gift this Christmas. So that you, like God, would not count other sins against them, but forgive as you have been forgiven. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. 